you know, what are the problems within society that could be um, improved with crypto technology, incentives, coordination mechanisms. Welcome to Netcetera, the official podcast and newsletter powered by Mice and XYZ, the ultimate marketing network. I'm Blake Minho Kim, co-founder of Mice and XYZ, and join me as each week I talk to leaders working at the forefront of innovation, whether they're at traditional brands, Web3 or AI companies, or otherwise, to demystify the latest in emerging tech that's shaping the new internet for a brighter future. Today, we'll be speaking with Paul Pesic, co-founder of Wagme Ventures, a global syndicate of leading investors in Web3. Paul has a fascinating background and origin story for his journey into the world of blockchain. And we had a lovely conversation around Wagme, what makes it a unique kind of syndicate, and general investment theses for the future of the Web3 industry. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's episode number four with Paul Pesic. All right, all right. Uh, hey, Paul, how, how are things going for you today? Hey, good, Blake. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Excited to finally have you on. Uh, you know, this uh, we finally made it work, so really excited to get into it and talk a bit more about Wagme. Um, but yeah, to kick things off, likewise. To kick things off, as usual, we always love to start with an origin story. So if you just tell myself and our audience a bit about yourself, Wagme Ventures, and how you found your way into this current role that you're in right now. Yeah, sure, happy to. Um, so my journey into crypto um, really started out of a TradFi background. So out of undergrad, I spent a few years at McKinsey and then a few years um, investing out of a private equity fund before joining uh, Wharton for MBA and uh, really had kind of just dabbled in crypto, um, you know, from even 2013 on to um, to Wharton when I was there from 2019 to 2021, but really never got too involved. I remember uh, one of my good friends from college gave me uh, one ETH as a wedding gift uh, in 2016 or 2017 when it was about a hundred bucks. So we got to watch that roller coaster. I, I hope you helped that because sure that's uh, today. That's a pretty good wedding present. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure I paper handed it at the time, so. Um, you, you know, it, it was a great kind of uh, way to pique my interest, but I, I never really caught the bug at that point during that cycle. Um, but funny enough, while I was at Wharton, uh, it wasn't anyone from the school or, you know, any of my colleagues while at Wharton, but I had uh, developed a friendship with my doorman who uh, every time, you know, I'd walk past, I'd see him day trading on his phone. And uh, he was telling me about how his daughter was producing um, digital art in the metaverse and uh, she was only 12 years old and thought wow Mike that's really impressive your your daughter really hustles so um, he said yeah you know she's making this thing called a generative art collection I'm happy to send you one of her pieces and so he sent me one it was a long necky lady it was an NFT and uh, you know that was my first NFT I received her name's Nyla Hayes she's um, I think now 13 or 14, but at the time she had launched, um, you know, her NFT collection. And sure enough, like a week later, uh, MC Hammer and a bunch of other celebrities were tweeting about how awesome it was that this you know, young kid made this collection and how great her, her art was. And so, uh, she, you know, she took off and of course, Mike quit his day job as doorman. Um, but we remained buddies and traded a bunch of NFTs together. And I, I helped them a little bit on the 
advisory side coming out of that. And uh, that, that was in 2021, um, kind of mid-year, got really involved with a number of collections, including um, Proof Collective, kind of watched that meteoric uh, Moonbird uh, rise and was basically doing a bunch of trading and building relationships in the NFT space. Um, meanwhile, a, a really close friend of mine was um, intimately involved on the DeFi side of things and seeing a bunch of interesting projects that were getting launched. and. Um, you know, we we were chatting at the tail end of 21, early 2022, and what we had noticed was that there was this record level of capital that had flowed into the crypto space, and um, you know, VC funds had raised record levels of capital from their LPs, and they were basically all chasing the same exciting hot deals, and they had kind of front run the opportunity in terms of just the amount of things that were getting built at the time. Um, now it's almost impossible to keep up with all the projects getting developed, but, um, you, you know, basically the capital had kind of, uh, front run the opportunity and there was so much of it that really there was this imbalance where the same funds were all competing over the same deals. And if you're a tier two or tier three fund, it's pretty difficult to differentiate yourself. And so, um, you know, late 21, early 22 started pooling together people from, either you know my network in the nft space or you know friends networks in DeFi, and um ultimately started collecting a group of angels who um you know collectively would be a pretty attractive pool to invest in these deals and participate if you're a founder looking for you know hands-on support and so really our whole pitch to founders since the start has been hey look we're not going to be the largest um you know, investor in your cap table. But what we do bring is underneath a hundred K check or, you know, 200 K check, uh, there are 20 to 30 angels who are all you know, super excited to hustle on your behalf, have strategic backgrounds in the space, whether it's on the building or the advising or the investing side. And so, um, you know, if somebody writes a five to 10 K check, uh, personally, they're going to be way more incentivized to hustle on your behalf, make introductions, and so we've really been able to be, I think, a scrappy kind of value additive partner that um, is a little bit different than, you know, your typical VC fund. And I think it's helped not only get us into some deals that, you know, probably a typical tier two or tier three fund, uh, you know, wouldn't be able to get into. But um, in addition to that, just be able to create support and, you know, provide resources that maybe a standard fund wouldn't be able to. So, um, yeah, it's been a really fun journey. We started investing in mid 22. So right as uh, interest rates started rising and, um, you know, we've kind of invested all across the space and I'm happy to go into it, but, um, it's been a really fun journey. And, uh, right now there's so much getting built out and, um, so much to support, but, you know, we're just as bullish as ever on the future of the space. So, uh, I think we timed it well in terms of getting in and uh, have a, a lot more to invest as far as we're concerned. I love that. I love that. And it, and it makes so much sense. And I think the timing was, as you just said, is probably couldn't be better because I, I think, uh, you know, considering we're coming up towards the end of 2023 and it seems, you know, we'll get into this in a second, but it seems like things are starting to turn around and people are building. It's uh, It sounds like you got in you know, and, and are able to cut deals at, at just the right time. So really exciting. Building, so building on this, we'd love to kind of hear about the evolution of Wagme. So I think, 
you know, the value prop makes a lot of sense, right? Aggregate some of the best angels in the space, really provide value. The checks, you know, it sounds like you guys don't really lead, but you guys will come on and get involved in a very value additive way. Um, but I guess has, has that kind of always been the model and it will continue to be? I think I talked to Tanner about some of the other interesting initiative you guys are working on in terms of being more value additive. We'd love to hear a bit more about that as well. Yeah, definitely. I think maybe the best place to kind of focus on evolution would be in terms of deal access and sourcing because our strategy has really remained the same in terms of how we support companies. It's you know, providing extremely high value introductions and then um, you know letting the network have its effects play out. Um, but in terms of how we've sourced deals, you know, early on when we weren't you know, a known name in the space and, you know, our network was fairly small. A lot of that was proactive outbound work whenever something was raising. And we, we had to be particularly scrappy and proactive to try and uh, wedge our way into deals and, um, you know, involved a lot of selling on our behalf because, you know, people weren't familiar with what we did and how we partnered with companies. And so there was a lot of work to, one, you know, find opportunities and then two, really hustle to, you know, claim our spot in deals. I think now one thing that's really amazing has been just tapping into the network to um, really know what's coming to market and having a great pulse on all the deals that are raising. And, you know, you think about like a typical VC fund who has, you know, maybe 10 people and they're all kind of, you know, working on leads to find deals. I mean, if you've got a strong brand that creates a center of gravity that attracts deal flow, but um, when you've got a strong network like we do, where uh, you know, maybe a hundred people in the network are all extremely connected and seeing a bunch of exciting deals, then you know, we're seeing a lot very early on now in a way that we, you know, we didn't think was possible at the start. And so a lot of great deals are coming to us that maybe hadn't been identified by certain funds and, um, you know, a great example of kind of the global reach of our network is, um, for example, Intmax. I don't know if you've heard of them. Vitalik has uh, talked about them recently in a couple blog posts and then uh, mentioned them in a recent interview, how they're, you know, this crazy scaling solution for Ethereum. And uh, I don't think they were on the radar of a lot of um, funds, particularly in the U.S., but they were um, a really well-known set of builders, particularly out of uh, Japan that we're building. And one of our extremely active uh, members over in Japan, Takeshi, uh, flagged them to us as, you know, a really strong team that we should look into uh, speaking with. And so, you know, that was some great alpha for us. So I think a lot of, that's just one example of how a lot of our members are proactively sharing deal flow with us. And it leads us to find some of the best opportunities before they're extremely well known. So that, that's been a fun evolution to how we find deals and source, which is kind of a key uh, mm. lifeblood of investing in the venture space. And then, yeah, we, we have expanded. So Tanner has um, really had a remarkable set list of guests on the podcast, which has continued to build our brand reputation. You know, people like Tim Bako, um, Sri Ram from Eigenlayer had a number of other fantastic guests. And um, on top of that, we've started to expand some of our advisory work. So, um, you know, if 
groups maybe aren't fully ready to go to market to fundraise yet, we can help them with things like pitch deck best practices, um, other things like that to help kind of coach them up and then advise them on their behalf as they're going out to market to, to find funding. So we are expanding our kind of suite of opportunities as we, as we start to see the market um, really pick back up again. But, you know, in terms of our core business of just finding the best deals and trying to get allocation for our um, angels, I, I think that's only going to continue to just roll forward as and, and pick up steam as we continue to, to see things pick back up again. And that's really beautiful, right? Because it, I, I wouldn't call Wagme Ventures a DAO per se, but right. But the the what you guys are doing very much resonates with exactly kind of what we're doing here at Myerson in terms of the marketing network, right? I think that's the really interesting thing that Web3 can unlock is, you know, how do you build out a network? How do you create those totally. network effects? And how do you create in a global way? Like you just said, you know, you got a guy over in Japan, he's bringing deal flow that you wouldn't see in the US. Otherwise, you continue to build out this ecosystem, continue to create value and, and everyone wins. So um, I'm really into that. It, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and I guess that there's a... Um, well, I guess I'm just building on it, right? Which is, well, I guess, how would you just, is it, is it an investor network? Is it a syndicate? I mean, I guess we're, what's, um, if you had to distill it down, right? Uh, there are a lot of different ways you could position it, but how do you guys think about and describe Wagme for potential, um, potential leads, uh, deals, et cetera? Yeah, sure. I think um, at its core, Wagme, is truly a network of strategic builders, executives, and investors that um, are all kind of proliferated throughout Web3. And so it's it's a very strong network that we can tap on founders' behalf. Um, and on top of that, it's a brand. I think it's, it's really fundamentally those two things. Um, and the brand has thankfully kind of grown in time on top of that network and, and the network kind of being a proof point that has substantiated the brand over time. But um, really, it's fundamentally those two things. And on the back end, it's it's nothing sexy at this point. I think there's still a lot that needs to get sorted out from a uh, DAO governance standpoint. And, you know, I think coming from a TradFi background, I'm uh, happy to let others be first movers in that part of the space. I think particularly while some of the regulatory clarity uh, gets sorted out in the US, um, it's been unfortunate the way things have uh, played out to date. But I, I think from our standpoint, you know, we're, we're very safe and kind of straightforward and familiar from a, um, you know, traditional finance standpoint on the back end. So we're using allocations.com as our SPV provider. They're, they're a great kind of resource for anyone looking to, to you know, pool together investments with their friends or um, you know, with a broader network like we have. And they'll set up um, you know, SPVs, they'll handle K1s come tax season. Um, you know, they've got their investment portal to service anyone who's participated in deals. So um, they also handle KYC, uh, investor accreditations by jurisdiction. So uh, similar to AngelList, but they're a little bit more flexible, um, kind of more run as a startup themselves, but with all of that tooling built in so that we can really focus on interacting with founders and interacting with yep. our investor network and that kind of being the core of what we do. And yes, there's plenty of administrative work on the back end that we handle, but um, 
I think in time, there's plenty of interesting things that we could explore with the the network, right? And, and how we build that out. Yeah. And, um, you know, a highly strategic group of people interested in investing and furthering Web3 um, projects. I, I think there's so many different routes that you could take that in time. I think a lot of the regulatory clarity and frankly, just tooling in the space is still getting built out. And we, we hear about people who yeah. are building Web3 uh, S- native SPVs and things like that. And we'll occasionally have conversations with people like that. I think, um, again, we'll, we'll slowly kind of evolve into that space and time, but for now, our core focus is just, you know, connecting good people in our network to, to builders to help, you know, make magic happen with, um, with their companies. And that's, uh, and there's, there's no need to rush into it, technology. right? As you're talking about, right. it's at the end of the day, the most important thing is the network, the brands, deal flow, right? All this other backend stuff. It's kind of refreshing, right? Because I think, you know, one of the frustrations frustrations that um, I felt within our industry sometimes is that um, I think people love to nerd out and have such a good time around the things like governance and the tokens and how are you figuring this out when really that's just, as we all say, right? Like what there's infrastructure. So why are we so like, th- there's already tooling for that. So it's really about go to market. How do you get the name out there? How do you you know, provide value up front and then all this other stuff can get figured out. And it also, as you're saying, other people can figure out, make the mistakes and then you can come in later and, and do it right. So makes, makes a lot yeah, of sense for me. Definitely. I, I think that there's um, something really exciting about being able to try out these new approaches. You know, the first time that you send money to a non-custodial account, right. And, and get access to DeFi kind of outside the, the walled gardens of, mm-hmm. um, you know, custody finance is, is such an exciting experience. And similarly, you you know, getting to do things like vote for governance for DAO, you know, it's, it's really fun and exciting because it's, it's new and it's an experiment and, um, you know, using multi-sigs and and things that would kind of, you know, fit into uh, an investment DAO. I think, you know, a lot of that is, is fun. And, and I think, uh, illuminates the mind and creates, um, you know, a lot of exciting scenarios that could play out. But for us, I think the um, the core kind of 80-20 of what we're trying to do is really about, you know, having good conversations with founders about how we could be helpful and, and things that don't really map on to p- pushing the boundaries of, of the, the backend tech stack, right? And so uh, part of it is just us kind of keeping our eyes on, on course in terms of what really drives value for, um, you know, Wagon Ventures and for the companies that we're working with and just kind of keeping our heads down on that for now. But I, I love all the innovation that's happening in the space and I, I hope it does continue because we, we would love to, you know, evolve in time w- w- with that respect. It's all coming. It's all coming one step at a time. So actually building yeah. on that, right, would love to dive a bit deeper into Wagmian and something we always love to talk about is like wins, misses, lessons learned. So we'd love to, I guess, kind of thinking about the portfolio and the investments that you guys have made over the past year, it's certainly been an, an eventful, or I mean, a little bit quiet, I guess, compared to the year before, but it, there's still been a lot of stuff happening this year. So we'd love to get a, I guess, from you, a read on what do you chalk as chalk up to, I guess, your biggest wins with Wagme in terms of investments that you guys are really proud of? And then however you want to approach it, but I guess, uh, I guess misses where you almost got 
on the cap tape or weren't able to, or other just kind of lessons learned, I guess, as you've been continuing to build this out? Yeah, yeah. sure. It's a great question. It, in terms of of wins, I, I think a general theme for this past kind of year, year and a half is that while there has been so much progress in the space, um, you know, I, I kind of liken crypto to trying to, to build civilization in outer space, where what I mean by that is if something in the oxygen tanks or the, you know, underlying power generation, you know, you picture this colony um, kind of floating through space. If, if any of those issues um, emerge or maybe there's a breach in the hole, for example, you are stuck within, in the same way that code is law, you know, the forces of nature are law. And I think there, there have been so many, um, you know, bugs that have been caught or, you know, different issues that have been flagged with, with, um, you know, certain either scaling solutions or existing layer ones. Um, we've had issues in the traditional finance uh, part of crypto with things like FTX, where, you know, imagine if we had our prime time moment and all of these issues still persisted. I think it would be obviously really exciting. People love to see number go up. But at the same time, I think you would see some really fundamental challenges for um, a lot of the space and frankly, a lot of harm done to users, investors, uh, customers, et cetera. And so I think a lot of the infrastructure that's being built out while everyone's sick of hearing about infrastructure and, you know, there are an increasing number of people calling for uh, the apps, you know, where are the apps? I, I think, you know, when you're building civilization in outer space, there needs to be a lot of fundamental infrastructure that gets done perfectly to remain there permanently, right? And so I think um, a lot of what we've funded over the past year, I mean, we've we've backed some really uh, incredible builders on, on the app side who are doing interesting things in music or art or, you know, whatever it might be. But at the same time, um, some of our most straightforward and exciting investments have been on the infrastructure side. So things like Eigenlayer, for example, um, you know, supporting restaking of Ethereum. That's obviously a super exciting one. Um, Say Network, we we got into that. They they have a really exciting, um, you know, uh, paralyzed, uh, parallelized um, consensus mechanism that helps them kind of play with the uh, execution environment to create um, what they say is fastest layer one. It's kind of you know depends on how you measure things, but really incredible work that that team has done, and they're seeing amazing building interaction in that um, environment that they've built. Um, We've backed things like Intmax, which is a uh, you know, scaling solution for Ethereum stateless uh, ZK rollup. Um, we've backed Tyco, which is building a type one uh, equivalent uh, ZK EVM. So, you know, great team out of Hong Kong that's building that, um, which, which also I think kind of speaks to our reach. So some really exciting things that are getting built out. Um, on the infrastructure side that we've been able to participate in that I think are gonna be really exciting wins for us, handful of others that I, I haven't mentioned. Um, the, you know, the lessons learned is always the most fun piece to talk about. And I think for us, <coughs> maybe one of the kind of segues into that is, um, you know, I come from a TradFi background. So, you know, while for a VC portfolio, the most exciting 
things are finding the 100x, right? Because that, that will return the fund and people love to, you know, be able to find the grand slams or the home runs. The I think from law. my perspective, having been private... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For, for me, having come from a private equity background, you know, it's almost just as important to avoid bad investments, right? And I think while VC funds do a lot of um, due diligence, as you know, as we do with all of our um, deals that we participate in, investment memos, you know, I think one of the instances that uh, was kind of a mistake to participate in, but then ended up being something we're really proud of, is um, there was a deal. I won't go into the specifics of it, but we had um, effectively raised the money for our allocation. There was a really exciting. Uh, tier one who was um, ba- basically participating in an extension round to keep this company going. And um, their kind of simplified version of their metrics t- told a much better story than if you really got in under the hood. And one of the members of our syndicate who was looking to participate did some um, online analysis and pulled some metadata and uh, basically came back and said, hey, you know, the, the stats that are uh, coming from the team don't really um, map onto or at least show the the full reality of, of you know, the underlying performance of this uh, platform and, uh, you know, the supposed user growth. Actually, that was, you know, all in the front end of this year. And, you know, if you look at um, website activity, things like that, um, you know, people aren't really using this anymore. So, um, we had a member of our of our syndicate do a bunch of in-depth research, and ultimately, we decided, even though we had fully uh, collected the funds to to do that deal, um, decided to pass. And it was, you know, a, a, you know, burdened to try and redistribute all that money back to the, the people who uh, had gotten excited to participate. But at the end of the day, those people are, you know, super appreciative that we're trying to be extremely thorough and um, you know, it's fun when, you know, you've got this network of experts in the space and one of them is able to catch some of the red flags that maybe even your team doesn't. And so um, making hard decisions like that, I think has, um, you know, been something that I'm really proud of the team for doing. That's kind of maybe a segue into some of the, the quote unquote misses from this year. I think, um, uh, Personally, I I wish that we had gotten into Celestia a little bit earlier. I personally have invested, but um, you know, not at the um, you know pre-token phase. That that was one that we had been chasing after that we didn't get into. Um, and, and then in terms of deals that haven't worked out, I, I think in reality, at the infrastructure level, even if you've got a good team, even if you've got um, you know, a compelling use case, even if um, maybe you have a leg up on competitors, there, there are always, you know, challenges in this space that are, are going to, you know, create pressure tests for teams. And for example, we were working on a, or had invested in a real world asset deal earlier this year that was basically doing bridging between um, USDC and a, um, basically debt-like interest uh, instrument that created yield on um, W-9 worker uh, income. And and so basically they would create factoring for that income to pay people sooner. You've got large companies that maybe take a little bit longer to pay out those salaries. 
and they would generate a yield on that factoring that they would do. And it was this fascinating, you know, real world asset use case that wasn't, you know, about housing or, you know, something else, but um, the team had a really compelling background. And ultimately the week that they were launching to go live was the same week that the Silicon Valley bank um, collapse happened. And that uh, USDC, which was their kind of main um, asset depegged and it created all these challenges for them. And ultimately it was kind of, uh, that was a pivotal moment in their trajectory. And, and they, decided based off all the uncertainty that it didn't make sense to move forward. And that was one that we were really excited about going into the spring. And I think um, in some ways that scar has just helped us, you know, I think be reminded that, Hey, this is venture at the end of the day. And so, you know, you can't put all of your eggs in one of these baskets because there are a million challenges that, um, you know, can, can create stressors or pressure and, and create risks for these investments. And so one of the things that we always encourage people in our network to do, because, you know, we're not actively managing capital, we're just bringing deal flow to our network is, you know, don't go all in on one deal. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, you know, unless you, for whatever reason, know the team, you're extremely convicted and, and and want to, you know, that your best bet is really to try and create a diversified approach to investing your capital and, you know, putting a little bit into each deal because you never know when, uh, you know, the world's most compliant regulatory yeah. um, or stable. There's, there's stable a million factors at all times. Yeah, exactly. Would love to continue building on this. I'd love to actually zoom out a bit now. So, I mean, number one, thank you for all that, Paul. That was really thorough. And I think you just, I didn't even have to, I oftentimes just have to remind the guests each part of the question. You just kind of nailed it bit by bit. So that was great. Now building on that, I think, and zooming out a little bit, we'd love to better understand as you're talking about diversifying the portfolios, you're talking about kind of spraying the bets and thinking about all the different factors that can come into the success or failure of different companies. We'd love to start think, uh, at least just get picking your brain in terms of investment theses, I guess, maybe not a singular one because there's so many brains in this network. But, and I guess what I mean by that more specifically is we talked about infra, we talked about apps. Um, we actually on our, a, a previous episode, we just thought about consumer crypto for quite a while, right? So with all that in mind, we'd love to better understand based on all the deal flow you're seeing today and what you're thinking about, what, what kind of technologies are you most interested in? Where do you think the next trend is headed in the next, I guess, 2024, since we're almost at the end of the year? Uh, what companies are standing out sure. to you and why? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a great question, um, and we get asked it all the time, of course. I think, personally, one of the areas that I'm most excited about is within within the modular blockchain thesis. You know, you break that apart. You've got the um, execution environment, you've got data availability, and then you've got settlement, right? And I think there with Celestia now live with things like Eigenlayer and uh, even near partnering um, with with Eigenlayer to do data availability. I think there is now kind of a clear solution for the data availability piece. Uh, Ethereum is kind of a gold standard for settlement in terms of um, at least just being able to plug in smart contracts and the execution environment becomes this white space for creativity. And so, you know, you're seeing a bunch of interesting things 
get developed with um, you know groups uh, like I mentioned, like say or like um, you know movement is doing something really exciting. They're taking the the um, execution tech from uh, Aptos from Facebook, uh, so um, basically creating um, a virtual machine that can do the execution piece in extremely fast and um, you know much safer kind of development um, space where you know you're not experienced all the challenges of solidity and you're kind of getting the best of all worlds. So I, I think there's a lot of experimentation that's going to take place within the execution part of, of this tech stack over the next year. And a lot of interesting things get built out. So we're actively looking at that space. Um, I, I think there's still plenty of interesting stuff to get built out on the um, scaling side, whether that's for Ethereum, uh, Solana, there, there's a lot of interesting stuff on the infra side being built in Solana. Um, you know, Jito just announced their airdrop and I think there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff um, as, as and, they and actually a bit of an impromptu to... question there, right? We'd love to kind of actually pick your brain on. I think, you know, I was just at Solana Breakpoint last, uh, was it end of October, beginning yeah. November, right? A lot of interesting updates, uh, announcements, right? With Fire Dancer and their, you know, 1.5 million TPS yep. on a test net. And, you know, Visa and WorldPay talking about doing USDC settlement on Solana. Um, right. But obviously, it's also on crypto Twitter. I think there's been a lot of kind of back and forth, you know, discussion. But we'd love to get kind of your hot take on, you know, how those two worlds play together. I think Celestia is interesting, right? Because it kind of is in between both worlds. But yeah, just would love to hear a perspective on on how that all plays out because um, there's a lot of opportunity. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think... Um... In many respects, a lot of the debate that's going on right now is equivalent of, um, you know, debating about who's going to dominate the internet in 1995, right? So I think there's so much room for each of these chains to to grow. And um, you know, I just saw a message from uh, or a post from Tolly about, um, you know, let's tr try and stop talking about which chain's going to. You know, kill the other this cycle there's so many different use cases and things that um, can differentiate <laughs> each and I think um, you know tw Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it there's just such a long tail of uh, people on that platform and it kind of um, people find enraging content more engaging and so that gets kind of escalated so I, I think behind a lot of the the tribalism that you at least see on Twitter there, there are so many people just focused on building. And I think um, while Ethereum, when, when you really just piece together all the parts of the ecosystem that are um, you know, building to support this, the scaling of that network and um, its growth and development, it, it's really remarkable. I mean, you just think about all the venture funding that has gone in to support layer twos or you know, other parts of the, the Ethereum ecosystem, I mean, it's hard to bet against them being successful and growing and ultimately, um, you know, finding their, you know, scaling solution that has the right user experience, things like that. With Solana, they're moving so quickly. It's, I mean, it's just so impressive. And some of the partnerships like with Circle and um, I don't know if you saw Coinbase announced that they're integrating with 
Solana. Um, I think Coinbase is going to be really exciting with um, a lot of the work Absolute they major. can do to, uh, yeah, become like a super app basically, and um, you know potentially turn this into something where I think the original vision was: can you buy coffee with crypto? And um, I've yet to be successful in doing that at a lot of my local coffee shops. And so I think there's a lot of stuff that Solana can enable in the near term that, you know, maybe gets them to scale much more quickly than some of the more complicated um, experiences with layer twos. That said, I think a lot of the people in the um, kind of current ecosystem that are complaining about the challenges with um, Ethereum layer ones and layer twos are, are basically complaining from this old paradigm of having to interact with the layer one at all. I think in the future, um, you know, a lot of users are going to natively start on layer twos and have the same functional experience that people did um, interacting with the layer one to begin with. They're not going to be worrying about, about bridging from, from one to two. And, and I think layer one of Ethereum is going to be so expensive that most people aren't going to be, um, going anywhere near that and a lot of onboarding is going to happen on top of layer twos or threes. And so I, th- I think a lot of those problems will get sorted out in time. Um, but again, like, you know, it's 1995. I think there's so much yeah. room for growth and improvement over the next several years. Right. Yeah. And that actually really resonates. Cause I think um, at least for me, I think it was a, I think it was bankless maybe end of last year where I kind of heard this idea of, yeah, like the Ethereum just becomes a settlement uh like the ultimate settlement layer everything else nobody should be using eth l1 in the next you know 10 years or so for exactly the reason you just said right that's the whole point um i will say i think the transition point will be hard for people who've been there long enough but i agree it's sure in the end people the new consumers will start to come in that way but that actually kind of leads to my next question which is you know we've talked a lot about infra we've talked and and i love that metaphor you used of you know, we're building a, a we're building a colony on the moon, and one critical thing breaks, it, it really puts it in a, in a tough position. So that's actually a really great way to put it. But that being said, we'd love to talk about also the consumer side of things, right? So applications, onboarding, because when we're talking about L twos, right? There's a billion L twos now. Everyone is launching their L two, but an L two yep. is only as good as how do you attract people, and actually, how do you attract normies right because i think the thing i always think about and we're always thinking about at mindson is how do you onboard the mainstream how do you onboard the brands how do you onboard you know my mom your sister you know this brother our friends who you know still think crypto is a scam and they're like what's this dogecoin these monkey pictures right Right. um so we'll love to get you know just any thoughts there in terms of are you seeing a lot more that come along what's really interesting and all those fun things. Yeah, sure. I think um, in many ways, the the less that we think about it as crypto and really think about the uh, problem set that you know people experience, I think that's where you find the most fertile ground. And then you think, how does this new technology enable that? Um, so, you know, what are the problems within society that could be um, improved with? crypto technology, incentives, coordination mechanisms. Um, you know, Coinbase has launched their um, ad campaign. It's time to update the system. And, you know, they show all these challenges like, you know, having to wait in line for, you know, all this paperwork or having to cash a check or, um, you know, having to wait several days to send a wire or um, issues like that. So I think um, obviously payments is, is a very 
straightforward use case that I think is going to make um, a lot of people's lives a lot better. Um, store of value, it's very easy for us to take for granted, um, you know, being in the U.S. and what having you know, stable store of value, whether that's, um, you know, Bitcoin or, or, you know, some of these other layer ones or just stable coins, right? Like that, that seems to have proven itself as kind of the thing that people want to hold. Um, whatever that ends up being, I think there are a lot of, of financial use cases. I think that's probably not, um, you know, what you're looking for, but it's at least the, the first and, and uh, I, I think kind of original kind of thesis for um, killer crypto app for people. And I think stable coins have really proliferated and, and shown that. I think um, th- there's so many different exciting ways to incentivize people to show up, right? Like Helium was the first thing that captured my imagination. Um, you know, how do you incentivize people to provide coverage in a decentralized way? And, um, you know, I haven't in depth followed everything that they're doing, but, you know, they've launched 5G and people can apparently now have cell phone plans and stuff like that's incredible, right? And so um, finding ways to incentivize the the rollout of infrastructure is, is really incredible. You know, I think um, at one point, uh, taking this kind of out of crypto to make a crypto point, um, while I was at Wharton, I really um, went in depth to explore career development and uh, building resources for students. And, you know, it's funny, um, unless you're an extremely type A kind of um, high achiever, a lot of kids don't want to spend time and and a lot of the, you know, um, <laughs> unattractive, there's such a high opportunity cost in college, for example, right? To, um, you know, work on your resume and, and, you know, applying for jobs, you've got all this other exciting stuff happening. And so um, I I had worked on trying to build out a suite of resources that would uh, apply and appeal to kind of the the wider mass of students. And uh, we we just really struggled to find engagement because people wanted to just get, get on with it, right? And I think if you were able to develop something that incentivized students to apply for jobs, for example, or to, you know, take X, Y, Z steps in their career, or, you know, maybe it's even in the classes to kind of abstract this further, then I, I think that kind of gamifies a lot of the either education or career development experience and incentivizes and motivates people to do things that they otherwise wouldn't be doing. And so um, what I'm hearing here is DIDs, Right. We're talking about on-chain reputation. We're talking about gamification quests. Maybe we don't have to call it that in the future, but for now, that's what we call it. Like, how do you create? uh, We're talking to Open Campus. They're doing some really interesting stuff in that sense. So, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming. And so, so I think you know that that's just one you know vertical within the the broader range of of challenges and issues people face on a day to day basis. And I think the more that we can think about the the problem sets kind of without starting with crypto and not being hammer looking for a nail but really being problem solvers for you know human challenges and then finding ways to integrate crypto over the next yeah. you know decade as the tech has improved and and yeah. becomes ready for prime time i think there's just going to be a flood of applications in the future i'm i'm really not worried about that piece i'm more worried about the, uh, you know, the oxygen and the power and everything else that goes into the Mars yeah. colony, right? Because if, if we're not ready for prime time, then, I, you know, I think a lot of stuff breaks and creates a lot of harm for people.
So I agree with that. Yeah. And it's very interesting because I could tell you, I mean, like even this podcast that people were talking to, right. It's, you know, web three companies, blockchains and brands. And I think from the brand side, it's such an interesting perspective of, um, you know, we've, we've played around with the wording and phrasing of it a lot. I think we're kind of shying away from the, even the term crypto, because I think for a lot of mainstream folks, it just, you get that connotation of, you know, a dog coin go up and down and get rugged. Right. So I think now it feels like, and then I think we did Web3 for a while. And I think even for us, we're starting to shift away from even that because I think it just complicates things. So I think now yep. it's kind of with brands, at least when we talk to, you know, CMOs and all that, when we're talking about like consumer applications, it's just blockchain enabled. That's it. Like, you know, and then. <laughs> That's exactly the very, phrase that was going through my head. Yeah. yeah. Blockchain enabled, because as, you, as you're saying, and, and I think we're both in agreement here, like this is all just infrastructure that's building the future of the internet, right? So crypto is a very obvious use case, payments, remittances, you know, improving the financial system is a really clear, concrete use case. But now there's so many other things, right? With tokenized loyalty, uh, with, you know, uh, decentralized infrastructure, like you're talking with Helium. Uh, love Helium, by the way, got uh, two miners, uh, I'm still holding on. We're trying, you know, nice. uh, and I love That's that great. coming to Solana because I got a Solana phone. So you got to, you know, you got to do all the, all the yep. things. Um, cool. But I do, I do want to be conscious of time. So I think we have like two more questions in the main and then we might jump Perfect. into rapid, uh, rapid parent questions. I think the last great. question here is really just around even one step further um, beyond just blockchain, right? Uh, would love to kind of get your, if, you know, and I'm curious to see if this is starting to come into your deal flow here, which is emerging tech as a whole, right? Blockchain being obviously a really critical part in the infrastructure for the future of the internet. But are you, are you guys seeing more kind of blockchain AI enabled um, or at the intersection of those things? I think, you know, all this other stuff with AR and VR, I feel like it's pretty early, but also curious if there's anything there. Um, how's that been? Have you seen anything and, and what's your take on that so far? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is uh, the most interesting time to be alive, certainly. I think we have been very focused on uh, being a Web3 syndicate. So I'll start by saying that just in that the, you know, the, the, the core thesis focus for us, um, our network, right, all, all the people who are relevant are, are Web3 folks. And so, um, you know, we're not doing Web3 and AI and uh, you know all these other things. But that said, to your point, there is a lot of stuff that's starting to blend and bleed into you know, other spaces. And in the same way that, you know, for example, companies like Amazon started to, you know, turn from a, you know, just a website into something that started to disrupt logistics or, um, you know, AWS kind of completely changed the game for cloud. Um, you know, there are, I think, parts of these other areas, whether it's AI or, um, you know, other spaces that um, actually partner quite well with crypto. So um, <clears throat> I, I don't know that they've announced yet, but we've looked at and participated in a deal that, um, you know, is doing a bunch of, you know, AI content and kind of social media play where there is crypto um that's getting integrated on the back end to um, verify authenticity of the actual content creator who's using the AI. So, so there's, I think a lot of stuff that's going to be developed that um, is at the intersection of those two. I will say that, 
you know, given this is, um, you know, broader network of people investing, um, you know, we, we as WAGME are very focused on uh, it needing to have kind of Web3 at its core. Um, if it if it does play in the AI space, for example, people get super excited and interested about that. So I think you're going to continue to see more and more of those types of opportunities as maybe something like Facebook continues to, um, you know, build its way through the bear market. And um, as we start to reemerge in 24 um, or however quickly it takes, I mean, just seeing their tech from, you know, that funny initial release of Mark Zuckerberg as a cartoon in metaverse to like, for example, the recent Lex Friedman interview that he gave where they were, Oh man, that was crazy. Yeah. Realistic versions of each other, uh, just sitting in this very intimate space in the metaverse. I mean, it's crazy the progress that they've made. Uh, quietly in some ways over the past 18, 24 months. And I think that's only going to continue to accelerate. Um, so, you know, in some ways, it's, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, a lot of one year uh, cliffs and then three year linear vesting. We like to joke that have no idea what the universe is going to look like. And by the time all of our tokens unlock. So, I, I mean, this stuff continues to accelerate. And I think so long as there's kind of a core web three component to it, then, um, you, you know, we'll look at it. And, and I, I think one of the nice things about a syndicate is our job at the end of the day is to, to do diligence, make sure that the, the deals are high quality. But then, um, you know, our syndicate really can have a wide range of appetites depending on who the people are and sort of self-selects, which ends up being the best of both worlds for um, the investors and the founders. Because, you know, if it's an NFT uh, infra company, and it self-selects for a bunch of interesting artists who want to participate and other people who have built on the NFT side and the DeFi people aren't as interested. Well, that's perfect. You know, you're finding the right people to participate and then, you know, become your tribe that's part of this round. So um, we'll try to bring quality deals to our network. And if it has an AI or, or some other interesting kind of emerging tech component to it, then, you know, I'm sure that'll self-select for the people that are most interested in that part of the space. Amazing. It's all coming together. It's, uh, as yeah. you said, I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see a lot of crazy stuff. And so it's great that we're all here. I, uh, maybe we all are going to make it, you know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yep. There we go. Um, all right. So I think let's, uh, one last thing, which is, um, you know, what's next on the horizon for Wagme, right? So as we move into the new year, you know, what, what's coming up for you guys that people should be aware of, you know, what should they be thinking about? Uh, or is there any, yeah. Where, what, what should people be looking out for as, as Wagman continues to grow and evolve? And then yeah, I think, yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. I think I alluded to it from um, earlier on, but just the, the center of gravity for us has continued to deepen where we're just seeing more and more exciting projects. And I think the kinds of deals that we're getting access to, um, you know, kind of have to pinch ourselves from where we were 18 months ago. So many interesting things getting built out, not at frothy valuations like in 2021. Um, just such a great time to be able to invest and and further some of these exciting things that are getting built out and developing the future of this space. And we have a ton of people built up in our network so we can take on large um, allocations in deals and as bull market starts to come back, I'm sure that has a kind of a virtuous cycle that that creates. So I would just say we're going to focus on our bread and butter more than anything, which is finding great deals and 
um, continuing to to invest in in builders in 24. And then, you know, we're building out a lot of exciting kind of ancillary components like the advisory piece. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanner's crushing it with the, the podcast and trying to find other ways to add values to or value to to um, founders aside from just introductions. But for now, it's just uh, like th- this is the, the time to be alive and invest, right? So we're going to keep doing Best that. time. This is, uh, yeah. even though the world's burning, we're still trying to build the future of the internet. Somebody's <laughs> got to do it. Somebody's got to yeah, build right. stuff. I'm into it. All right. I think the last thing here is rapid fire questions. This is, you know, you, you made it through the exam and now we're on just the bonus <laughs> questions, right? So yeah. rapid fire questions we use with every single guest. They've always been the same. Um, it's pretty straightforward. Throw a question, don't overthink it, and let's go. So getting into it, we'd love for you to pick one project, whether in Web3, well, in this case, it should be Web3, but normally it's Web3, AI, emerging tech, whatever it is, not including your own. So it can't be Wagmi itself, but any of the sure. tools that you've seen or that, maybe you want to be on that you're most bullish on and excited about? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, uh, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but Eigenlayer, I'm, I'm so excited about. I mean, the uh, I, I think the just amount of stuff that can be built rehypothecating ETH is going to create a scary bull run uh, at some point. But also, um, you know, there's a Telegram chat with a, a bunch of people who are pr- participating in the recent rounds. And just the amount of ideation that's that's coming out is uh, mm. really wild. I think um, even at the, the valuation that the last round came at, I, I think people really have not thought through all that can be done with you know leveraging the security of Ethereum to do other crazy stuff. So I, I think that team is incredible, and just the amount of stuff that um, you know it, it's it's one of those white spaces where you can't even think of all the different things that can be built, but, you know, somebody in, uh, you know, some random part of the world is going to come up with an idea for what can be built on top of that. And that's part of the, the whole exciting piece of composability with Web3, yeah. Web right? So um, it sounds easy like you answer, need an eigenlayer incubate, incubator or something, you know? What yeah, can you build yeah that's right. That's a great idea. There we go. Uh, you can have that one for free. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next one here. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Um, Biggest professional learning over the past 12 months? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great one. Um, I think I alluded to it earlier, but you can have such high conviction. Um, and it's funny because I, I was on a podcast um, probably 12 months ago where I, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe me talking about how great Eigenlayer is kind of me not learning the lesson. But I, I was on a podcast about <laughs> 12 months ago talking about this um real world asset deal that ended up falling apart a few months later because of the, the DPEG. And I think you just need to keep, keep a, um, you know, sober mind that uh, this, this really is venture investing. Right. And it's so easy in the space to think about what could go right. Right. That's a huge part of, you know, venture investing, being an entrepreneur as well as, um, you know, having the audacity to think, what if this ends up working and all the, the things that can support that um, vision. But at the end of the day, you know, managing a VC portfolio, you kind of develop some realism as well that, hey, even if all of these things are pointing towards this, you know, working out very well, you know, one thing could completely derail um, this project. And I think being able to anticipate some of those a uh, bit more preemptively has become, I think, a stronger 
skill set of ours and something that I, I keeps us a little bit sobered and and not saying, oh, you know, this project or, or that project is guaranteed to be successful because there's still, you know, execution to be done and, and the, you know, unpredictability to play out. And um, crypto does kind of have Murphy's Law at play where if anything could go wrong, it will go wrong. And, and a lot of times if a, if a token's live, uh, it's incentivized to go wrong because there are hackers. And I think, um, you know, we didn't talk about it earlier, but I think you, even the the hacking space has a lot of, um, you know, work to be done to get built out because at the end of the day, I, I don't think telling people that they need to stop is going to do anything, right? I think there needs to become a kind of a systematized way of, um, you know, preemptively hacking or, um, you know, finding ways to incent better incentivize bugs to be, be caught, things like that. So, um, I'll, I'll yeah, pause, we're still kind of stuck case. in this whole white hat, black hat, you know, reward system. Like, how do you make that more trustless? How do you make it more yeah. proactive? There you go. Yeah. Maybe there's that's the start of the so much to build, right? Who knows? Yeah, I'm into it. Um, two more here, and then I, th I think we'll we'll have to wrap it up. But you have, uh, and the numbers arbitrary, right? Because I think we've had guests who are like, yeah, oh, it's not enough. But theoretically, you have one million dollars just airdropped into your wallet. You can't do Wagme anymore what would you go build today uh, outside or, or, or within Web3? It could be, you know, you go just buy a, a compound upstate and you just become a farmer. It could be you could go build, you know, um, you know, this new hacking protocol. It could be anything. So, yeah. What would you, what would you do? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I started to answer this earlier, but I I'm, am very passionate about career coaching development. Um, came from a small liberal arts college where you know a lot of those resources weren't built out for me and so I did have to kind of navigate my own professional journey through the help of coaches and whatnot and um, I, I do think that there's so much work to be done with keeping the students in mind as kind of the the first user you've got a lot of platforms like handshake um, even LinkedIn that don't really kind of think from a um, student first standpoint i think as a result they haven't tapped into a lot of the growth that could be tapped and so creating the right incentives for students that can drive engagement i think there's such a blank space there um, and whether it's incentivizing them to um, do applications or you know interviews or whatever it might be i think there's so much fertile ground in that space so i would run hard at that problem with a million bucks if anyone wants to fund it <laughs> I love that. That's actually a really original answer. And I think you're right. I think there are a lot of opportunities there. And it's actually funny, I, you know, some of the, and we should talk about this separately at some point, but like some of the stuff we're building out in like ad tech and marketing tech, it's like there are things that, you know, in my, in my old career in web two that we had talked about as potential ideas that I think literally just were not possible at the time. Um, but right. now with blockchain and with crypto, you can really create new systems and new ways of doing things that you can have an idea, but unless you can actually build it and implement it, it doesn't matter. And I, so right. I remember yeah. back in the day, I would see like HR tech companies that they had kind of that idea, but it just didn't work because crypto didn't exist. So now it does. I think it's, yeah. you got to run it, it back, try it again. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, and I think there's so many people who are entrepreneurs who um, are, in Silicon Valley or all over the world who have these ideas and the tech just isn't 
where it needs to be in order to unlock a certain route to solving the problem that they're tackling. And at some point, there's going to be some flashy use case um, in crypto that solves one problem. And it's going to just be like a match that lights the fire for all these other entrepreneurs that say, oh, my goodness, I could I could build this you know, doing XYZ using the blockchain enabled kind of backend. And I, th- I think you're going to see a proliferation of apps at that point. So again, <laughs> like I think this all comes back to what we we're talking about earlier. There's so many people like yourself who have these problems that they're trying to tackle that just don't have the tech ready yet. And hopefully in a few yeah. years or however long it'll be there. It's getting there. It's getting there one step at a time. All right, last one here, which is, uh, and this is another favorite one of mine. And and actually, when I was, well, let me just say it, which is craziest predictions for Web3 for end of year 2023, but it's almost the end of the year. So really, it's more next year, 2024. What do you think is the craziest thing that may or may not happen? Craziest predictions. You get as wild as you want. Um, It can be, you know, yeah. Yeah, I... (laughs) um, I, I mean, I could see, I could see us, because a lot of this has to do with macro too, right? I, I could see the Fed having a fairly um, quick, I don't want to call it pivot, but step down, and you know, all all the tokens have kind of grinded higher to a point where it's kind of shocking where they are given how high interest rates are. I, I think you could have a perfect storm where um, people are just not bullish enough about where things get back to. I mean, I find myself saying, well, what if this token gets back to where it was in 21? I mean, you could have a, a, uh, a lot of people have talked about the mega bubble, not uh, even being here yet, that it wasn't 21. And so um, do I think this will happen? <laughs> no, but I mean, you could have a, a, a scenario where uh, total crypto market cap just blows 10 T out of the water and maybe you get to 15 or, you know, something crazy like that. And then, um, I mean, the craziest thing would be, what if it's actually justified at that point because the the tech is starting to really uh, come together? So um, I don't think people are bullish enough about what's going to happen over the next two years. And and that, that could be applied to crypto. It could be applied to a number of other emergent technologies like we've talked about. But um, I'll just... I mean, um, I don't think that's crazy. Bullish. Yeah, nobody's yeah. bullish enough. Uh, and that's a... That's like a really great way to kind of end this because I think as you talked about earlier, right? If we really are in the 1994 moment, you know, well, hopefully we're past the dot-com bubble moment. I hope we are. Maybe that was the what happened last year. So maybe <laughs> we're in 2001, right? Because uh, the, the favorite thing I love to always throw to people is there's an article uh, in the newspaper. You may, you've probably seen it as well, but it was like, uh, it was right after Y2K and people were still asking this internet thing. It's kind of a fad. Is it still going to be around? Right. And so it kind of right. feels like that's where we are right now. So, and we all know what happened over the, the next 20 years. Right. So I don't think you're crazy. Absolutely. Right? I think yep. You can't be bullish enough. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Okay. Um, and that wraps it up. So I think the last thing here is really just, we always leave a time at the end here for you to show yourself and wag me. So where can people find you? What's the call to action? You know, should they be emailing you? Should be hitting up on Twitter, you know, throw all the handles and emails, whatever you want. And uh, yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you're not a part of the syndicate um, and you're a builder, investor, founder, um, or, you know, just eager to, 
help further Web3, then you can find us at wagmeventures.io. You can sign up to um, join the syndicate there. Um, if you have interesting deal flow, you can send us a note at team at wagmeventures.io or I'm Paul at wagmeventures.io. Um, and then Twitter, we're at wagme underscore VC. And um, that, that's really the best way to follow us. And then, we, you know, we've got the Wagme Ventures podcast on uh, both Spotify and um, uh, Apple podcast player. So um, you find us on both those channels, too. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, well, listen, Paul, this was really great, really fun conversation. I think we like we talked about we covered a lot of ground here uh, and really appreciate you appreciate you making the time. Uh, I know we, we tried a couple of times and it's uh, we're busy folk and then there's a lot going on. But it's great to finally connect and have this conversation and really excited to get out into the wild and, and share it with the world. So thanks so much. And uh, yeah. yeah, thanks so I'll much. I'll see you again soon. Thanks yeah. so much for having me, Blake. This is really fun. Yeah. Really appreciate it. All right. I'll talk to you later. Ciao, ciao. All right. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode in etc. If you'd like to learn more about marketing and innovation in emerging tech, please visit www.myson.xyz and subscribe to our newsletter at www.netcetera.media to get started. And if you're a fan of the show, please show your support by subscribing and leaving a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.